Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see all of you. So we are doing a little bit of a service flip today. Um, so I'm preaching a little earlier than I would normally so that we can have a little bit of an extended time of uh, worship together, a little bit of an extended time of, uh, of, of worship in response to the message and some opportunity for us uh, to pray together. Before I get into the passage uh, today, though, um, I've got a few things I want to tell you. Um, the first one is we, we'd announced the passing of Linda Trommel um, a week or two ago. I just wanted to let you know um, funeral details, which we didn't have at the time. Uh, that's this coming Friday, uh, January 26th at 2.30 p.m. So just wanted you to be uh, aware of that. A couple of other things. We have a baptism class uh, coming up. I mentioned that briefly in my message last week. So on February 11th, so that's three, three Sundays from today, um, I'm going to run just a short baptism class in the 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock hour before the service. So if you're interested in baptism, if you're interested in being baptized, in talking about baptism, in learning about what the Alliance thinks about baptism, that kind of thing, uh, then come and join me for an hour. It's not going to be a heavy teaching session. I'm going to give you some materials. We're going to talk a little bit. I'm going to answer any questions you have, and we'll just spend the hour together. So if you're interested, meet me uh, at 9 o'clock out there in the lobby. You don't have to register. I'll wait till around 9.05, 9.10 in case anyone's running a bit late, and we'll just go find a room and, uh, and spend the time together. Uh, just one thing with that, um, we, we would like to provide the opportunity for baptisms on Easter Sunday. So uh, if you want to be baptized but that Sunday doesn't work for you, that's fine. We can do it another Sunday, but I just want you to know uh, that we can do that on Easter, which is always pretty special. Uh, the other thing I want to let you know about is um, an advance warning of the Soul Care Conference that we're going to run again this year. Uh, we ran it last year in March, and uh, we're running it this year in May. Now, that's a long way away, uh, but the reason I'm sharing it with you now is because you can't put Soul Care into a day. It has to, it's really a three-day conference that we put into two days uh, last time. Uh, just because uh, it's hard for people who work to be able to take time off and that kind of thing. This time what we're doing is uh, we're actually going to create an evening session. So the first session will be in the evening on the Thursday, May 2nd, just to make those two days a little bit uh, easier. But we didn't want to have to do the whole day Thursday. So it's a, it's a Thursday evening, probably be 6 to 9, 7 to 9, something like that. And then all day Friday, Saturday. Uh, so mark it in your calendars if you need to book time off, book a Friday off, you have advance warning to do that. Um, it, it's something that we highly recommend. Uh, we've seen phenomenal life change through this. It is an incredible, incredible uh, conference. There is a book that goes with it. And um, I can't say this strongly enough. If you're coming to the Soul Care Conference, it is so advised to read the book ahead of time. It will help you enormously, and you'll get so much more out of it, because you cannot get through the content of the book in, in two days, uh, and there's so much to sort of internalize. So if you've read it and you come to the conference, then you can just kind of take it in a little bit easier. So we have some copies at the front desk. Um, you can go and get one. I, I think they're $20 uh, for a book, so you can grab one of those uh, if you'd like. If you want to work as a, a, as a few people together and work through it, or your small group wants to work through it, it's a great idea. You can read the chapters and answer the kind of questions together. Uh, there's seven principles. You can do it over seven weeks if you wanted to, um, but I encourage you to do that. And the other thing I just want to give you an advance warning, uh, heads up as well, is if you've done soul care before um, and you think, well, I've done it, uh, I'm not really not sure I should do it again, uh, 
I want to say to you, so often people find that actually they do it two or three times because there's so much material there. So if you've done it before, we're going to offer you a sort of an alumni pricing, about 50% off the regular price because you don't want to pay the full price again if you've done it. But we want to encourage you that it's a good thing to do. So advance warning, we'll give you more, more information the nearer we get to that time. All right, so last Sunday we began a new teaching series in uh, the New Testament book of, of 2 Corinthians. And I spent most of last week in background and context, if you remember, if you were here or if you tuned in uh, online. And what I was doing was trying to explain to you a little bit about what Corinth was like, because that's really, really helpful stuff. It was, it was a wealthy, cosmopolitan, prosperous city. It was pretty immoral. It was thoroughly pagan. There were temples and gods uh, all over the place. It was, there was great sexual license in, uh, in the city uh, because of, of the, the, the temple there to the, the goddess Diana, and we talked about that. It's probably a, a major stronghold uh, in the city. And, and, and having that background helps you to understand the cultural, spiritual, uh, kind of political background of the city that Paul came and planted a church. And that's really helpful stuff to know. In fact, it's really helpful for 1 Corinthians. When you start to read 1 Corinthians, you're like, oh, okay, I see why they had so many issues, because the culture of Corinth was pervading the church. And so we talked uh, a, a fair bit about that. I also talked to you about Paul's movements and letter writing was actually more complicated than you might imagine. And so I, I shared with you, there's a bunch of reconstructions, and I shared with you what I thought was probably the best reconstruction. And so as part of that, we talked about how Paul had made this painful visit to Corinth. It was difficult. It was, there was conflict, and it was vitriolic, and it was, it was just difficult, and he ended up leaving uh, fairly, uh, fairly quickly, and he wrote a subsequent letter that was really hard for him to write. It grieved him to write it because it was a letter that was about, uh, it was really a slap on the wrist. It was, it was about discipline and so on. And it grieved him to write it. And he sent it off with Titus, who took it over. And he met back up with Titus and was like, how did it go, Titus? Did it go over well? Do they hate me? And Titus said, actually, a bunch of them were cut to the heart about how they treated you. They repented. Good news. But Paul, you also need to be aware that there's still this small faction that are entrenched in their opposition to you. And actually, there's some false teachers that are sort of feeding that. So you need to be a aware of that. So that's very briefly what we talked about last week. If you didn't capture it last week, then I encourage you to go onto our website and listen to it. It will help you uh, with this entire series. So we're going to get into the uh, body of the letter today. Last week, uh, after the context, I just did a couple of verses. We're going to dive into the body. I'll read it in just uh, a moment. Have any of you ever gotten involved in one of these kind of pay-it-forward schemes? Do you know what I mean by that? Has anybody ever kind of done that before? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, the pay-it-forward idea is that um, you do a good deed for someone. It's usually a random act of kindness, so it's, it's often a stranger. But the idea is then that the recipient of the good deed Instead of turning back and repaying you for the nice thing you did for them, they're actually encouraged then to pass it on to somebody else. It's this idea of pay it forward. 
So the idea is that um, there's all these kind of good deeds that are done, these blessings, these, these um, kind things. And the idea is that you, you get this kind of cascading flood of kindness being passed out throughout culture. So you, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And, um, and so uh, I think some of the motivation for people to be involved in that is that, you know, they look around the world and they see that it seems to be getting darker. There are still a lot of wars that we fight as humans because we never learn and we never change. And there's all kinds of horrible weather events and there's fears about the climate. And, and it seems like the world is ever more politically divisive and people fight over things and are angry with each other all the time. Uh, and we, we could also uh, say today, we might say, and, and it seems like the cost of living is just getting out, out of hand for people. It's just, there isn't a lot of good news out there. And so if we can just do a good deed, and if that creates a whole uh, avalanche of good deeds, then, then we have the potential to change someone's day for the positive and, and change the world for somebody even. And I think that's kind of where this idea came from. In fact, there was a movie, I think, in the early 2000s called Pay It Forward, and I think that's where it, where it came from. And there's all these kind of heartwarming examples of people who are in the grocery store, and they pay for the groceries of the person behind them, and they, they sneak out the door before they even realize that kind of thing. Um, and, and then there's even businesses that have been involved in this. There are coffee shops that facilitate this kind of thing, where, where you can go into this coffee shop, and you buy yourself a coffee, but you pay for two. And the coffee shop makes a note of it, and then they put a sticky note up somewhere. And so if somebody comes by who's having a bad day or, or can't afford a coffee or walks past but knows what the sticky note means, they can actually get one and go and get a free coffee. It's that kind of idea. So businesses are even, have even facilitated this. You can find all kinds of cool stories about it. We're going to read this passage now. It's coming up for you. And it, it doesn't describe by any means an ancient pay-it-forward scheme. That's not what I'm saying. But it has the flavor of this idea of receiving something and then passing it on. This idea of being blessed so that then you can be a blessing to someone else. So let's uh, open up the passage. It's 2 Corinthians 1, uh, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all consolation, that word could be comfort, who consoles us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to console those uh, who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, so also our consolation is abundant through Christ. If we are being afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. It's Paul talking to the church. And if we're being consoled, it, it's for your consolation, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we also are suffering. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our suffering, so also you may share in our consolation. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Um, just in case you're unfamiliar with that, that's not Asia that we think of Asia. That's essentially the, the western end of modern-day Turkey. It's like that, the, a province of, of what we would call Turkey today. Uh, in Asia, 
For we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He who rescues us from so deadly a peril will continue to rescue us. On him we have set our hope that he will rescue us again as you also join in helping us by your prayers so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. God's word to us today. So our passage begins with a statement actually about God, doesn't it? It calls him the God of mercies and the God of all consolation. I'm not sure if there's another place in the, in the Bible where God is referred to as the God of mercies. It's, a, it's an interesting name for him. So he has this kind of two, two names that Paul gives him, and they're, they're words of blessing. Blessed be the God of mercies. So they're words of, of honor and, and, and blessing and, and favor and worship and adoration that are being directed Godward. So they're words of blessing, but they're also a, a statement of what is true, a theological statement about the identity of God. And it tells us that God is the source of mercy. He's the source of consolation, comfort. Like the, the headwaters up on the top of a mountain, the source, the spring, from which then the tributaries come down the side of the mountain and into the big sort of river and, and creates irrigation for the land and creates water for people to drink. He's the source of it that comes down into our lives. So it's a statement of blessing to him and a statement of theology. And in a room like this, with this many people, um, most of whom have spent a portion of your lives walking with God, right? Some of you have been doing that for decades and decades and decades, some for years and years and years, some for maybe a couple of years, maybe some of you for a few months. But in a room this size, there would be story after story of, of how that is true in your life. There would be testimonies from you uh, how that statement is so completely true. Many of you could attest, yeah, I know that he's a God of mercy. I know he's a God of comfort. I've experienced it. Let me tell you the story of how it worked out in my life. There will be tons of them in this room. You've traveled through hurt and disappointment and fear and disillusionment, and God has comforted you and helped you and brought you through it. There would probably also be a portion of you in this room who would say, that's true, except I also have some disappointments. Because there were times when I thought God would come through for me in a certain way, and he didn't. I don't understand. But even so, that even though that's the case in my life, nevertheless, I still have this keen sense that that statement is true about him. And even if I don't understand, I think one day I will, whether it's in this life or the life to come. And so I still think it's true. And then there will be some of you perhaps in the room who are disappointed and you're just not sure you can cling to that belief. You're not sure how you can trust because you'd say, yeah, Jamie, okay, so there's tons and tons of stories and testimonies in this room, but they're stories and testimonies of other people. I don't have one. And so we struggle. What's wrong with me? Why has he not come through for me? Why did he not comfort me? Hold on to that thought. If that's you, we'll come back to that. Paul then describes this idea of, of pay it forward. 
in a more biblical way of thinking, it's, it's this idea of a vessel, right? Uh, and a vessel is a container that can be filled, but eventually, if you keep pouring, say, water into a vessel or into a container, it's going to reach its capacity, it's going to reach the top, and it will begin to spill over. But instead of just spilling over onto the ground and disappearing and going away, the idea is that the spillover can actually be directed into other containers. That's what Paul is describing. And a, 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 an interesting image that you can think of is, is of those champagne pyramids. Have you seen those champagne pyramids before? Have you ever seen that? Sometimes you might see it at weddings or special parties or whatever it is. And the idea is that there's a bunch of, of glasses and they're all put, and it's a special type, it has to be a special type of glass, and they're all put next to each other really carefully, and then you put another layer on top, and the idea is that the stem and then the base of it sort of sits between four glasses, um, uh, but, but it actually directs uh, the champagne or the juice or whatever it is into uh, those other cups. And so the idea is that you pour into the top, and then when it reaches capacity, it begins to spill over, but it runs down the side and it runs into the, the four glasses below it. And then as those reach capacity, then they run down and they go into the next layer and, and so on and so on and so on. And the idea is if, if, you, if you don't build it very well, you can just end up with a big mess. I was thinking of, of, of demonstrating it for you. <laughs> I was going to bring some sparkling juice in and see how it worked out, but then I thought, no, I would make a mess. Um, but if you do it right, if you build it well and use the right type of glasses, you, you can almost do it without, without spilling. Uh, it's pretty, pretty kind of impressive. And, and so Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we read that, Father of mercies, God of consolation, who consoles us in our affliction so that for the purpose of we being able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. It's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Paul has experienced hard circumstances, and he explains it in a minute when he talks about his time in Asia. And for him, and by extension us, the experience of that comfort equips us with the tools and the ability and, and should be the motivation to extend that to other people who are going through similar kind of things or difficult things. Another way to think about this, or another example, might be spiritual gifts, right? Like, we all receive spiritual gifts, and, and, and everybody receives kind of different ones, and they're apportioned to us by the Holy Spirit. And some of them are, ju are just sort of talents that we're really, really good at, like administration and things like that. And then some of them have this kind of edge that you think, well, I actually, no, we can't create that. So, so speaking in tongues or prophecy or words of knowledge or healings, whatever, you can't just muster that up. You can't create that. Nobody in here has the power to heal anyone. But actually, it's a gift from another realm of existence, the spiritual realm, God's realm, that invades the present, and God apportions it to individuals. They're gifts that invade the natural realm, and they're given to us, not so much that we can then go and enjoy our own spirit, fun little spiritual experience, thank you very much. And they're not given to us to make us better Christians, and they're certainly not given to us so that we can now boast, well, look how special I am. It's none of that. They're actually not primarily given to us for us at all. They're given for the sake of the body, the church. First Peter 4.10 says, like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift, 
each of you has received. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, so with yourselves, since you're eager for spiritual gifts, strive to excel in them for building up the church. It's for others. And so it's similar with this idea of God's comfort and consolation. He comforts us and consoles us, but there's, a, there's another side to that. And the other side to that is that we will pass it on to others, and what a great picture to hold up. We freely receive, and so we freely give. We freely receive, so we freely give. We pass it on, we pay it forward. We're equipped to help other people um, receive the comfort from God. Now, this is where the champagne pyramid kind of fall down, falls down. There's, there's often never a perfect metaphor or picture, but this is where it breaks down. Um, eventually, in that, in that kind of idea, the, 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 the glasses get all full and there's no room anymore. Well, the idea of the vessel actually is that you never actually get full because if you're giving out, then you're creating room to be continually filled. And it's, it's the same with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some people get very confused. They think that you receive the Holy Spirit once and only once. You receive the pledge and the mark of the Holy Spirit when you come to faith once, but not the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Greek that is used is be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not written like that in your English translations because that's really awkward English. So it's just be filled with the Holy Spirit. But that sounds like a one-off thing, but it's be being filled with the Spirit continually. Because as God fills you, you give out to others, you serve the church, you serve the world, and he fills you again. And you're like a vessel that keeps on giving. That's the picture, that's the image. And so Paul then goes on to describe his affliction. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experience in Asia. We were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Paul's most likely, uh, he doesn't really explain what was the affliction, but it's most likely what happened in Acts chapter 19. We referenced that last week. In Acts 19, Paul shows up in the city of Ephesus. He stays there for two years. And I tell you, church family, if you read Acts 19, it's incredible, the ministry that Paul had there and the things that were happening there. Many, many people came to faith. Many people were healed. And, and, and the gospel was preached all across Asia to Jews and to Gentiles. It was an amazing response in Ephesus. There were miracles that were performed. And in fact, some people who had practiced magic, they brought their books out into the town hall and they laid them into a big pile and they had a big book burning ceremony because they wanted to get away from that past. It's an incredible story. Verse 20 says, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. It's a cool story. But an issue broke out. That's often the case. When there's an amazing movement of God, so often issues break out also because we have an enemy that doesn't like it very much. It's why some revivals end earlier than they should. And so an issue broke out. There was a silversmith named Demetrius. And, and one of the things that he used to make was these little shrines, these little models, these little statues of the goddess Artemis. And what happened was, as people started coming to Jesus, they stopped worshiping at the temple of Artemis. They stopped worshiping uh, Artemis herself. They stopped buying his little statues, and he didn't like that very much. It hurt his pocket. 
And so he started to get upset and he started to say, while all this Jesus preaching is happening, people are turning away from Artemis and there's probably a certain amount of civic pride as well because the temple of Artemis was one of the great wonders of the ancient world. That Paul is emptying out the temple. It's a threat to our city. It's a threat to our, uh, our, our culture. It's a threat to our economy or to my economy anyway. And he got upset, and so this issue broke out, and they began to riot, and they started to drag Christians into the great theater in Ephesus. But Paul wanted to go in there, but they kind of held him back and says, no, they'll tear you apart if you go in, Paul. And that particular incident eventually got kind of, um, uh, it, got, it got resolved by some, some local officials. Uh, but what, what happened was um, the incident had, had woken people up to the idea that this Paul who's preaching this stuff actually has some impact on the way of life that we experience, and we're not sure if we really like that very much. And so it could have been that his suffering happened then, that's what he's talking about. There's other options. He talks about being beaten and whipped and imprisoned, and we know he was imprisoned in Ephesus. Maybe that's what he was describing. But he says this, we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself, that's pretty low. Indeed, we felt like we'd received the sentence of death so that we could not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. It sounds like in modern language, something akin to a, to a breakdown he was having, they were having, some kind of breakdown. Maybe what we might describe as an experience of some kind of clinical depression almost. The weight of what was happening was, was bearing down on him so much and his natural resources and his natural enemy was, uh, energy rather wasn't enough to kind of pull himself out of it. We were so crushed. We despaired of life. The dark, the, the night rather becomes so dark that the hope of dawn seemed like it was disappeared. So if anyone in this room has ever come to the point of such grief or such pain such depression that you feel like the, the darkness is just cloaking around you and there's no way forward. You, you're actually in, in good company. That's what the Apostle Paul experienced uh, as well. But verse 10 says, he rescued us from so deadly a peril and will continue to rescue us. On him, we've set our hope that he'll rescue us again as you also join in helping us by your prayers so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. So for those like Paul, who have times when they feel like giving up, despairing of life, living with that cloak of darkness around them, losing hope that there'll ever be a dawn again in their lives, the message is actually but there is some hope. Hope exists, friends. Look up and look around the darkness and look for that pinprick of light. He will rescue us from so deadly a peril. There is no darkness that God it will not enter to bring light. There is no cave that is so deep that he will not reach down to pull us up by the hand. And for Paul... Even his level of suffering was, was, was not too great for him to experience the rescue that he experienced. 
And his rescue gave him fresh hope that God would rescue again. And I think that's probably both in the sense of his life going forward, but probably also talking about an eschatological rescue at the end of time as well. At the end of it, he touches on the importance of prayer. You can, Corinthians can, can pray for us. You can join in helping us with your prayers. And he references the prayers of, of many. There's, there's a primary way in which we can help people in their affliction, and that is we can pray for them. We have to be a praying people. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. So back to those who live with the disappointment that I mentioned at the beginning, there is still mystery attached to why your prayers were not answered or you feel like your prayers were not answered. There is, there is often mystery attached to suffering and there is mystery certainly attached to healing or not healing. There is more gray than we wish there would be. We wish it was more black and white, but it just isn't. Your life isn't like that. But look for the pinprick of light. Dare to trust again. Bring your mustard seed of faith. And if you can't pray, well, that's when we lean on the body of Christ to put to words the things we're feeling and to pray the prayer that we don't feel that we can pray. Before we move to application, which we're going to do in just a moment, um, I want to just encourage you this afternoon to go away and read the rest of chapter one. Uh, next week, we're going to dive into uh, chapter two. We're going to go on to a different subject. But the rest of chapter one is sort of interesting because if you read it, uh, you'll read Paul talking a little bit about misunderstanding and, and so on, which I kind of talked about last week, how there was misunderstanding between Paul and the church. There's also some of that movement stuff. He talks about uh, Macedonia and going to Macedonia and so on. And, and he does a little bit of defensive work. He's going to do way more of that as he defends his apostleship later in the letter, but there's a little bit of that. And so some of these things, if you read it, and it's only about half a chapter you've got to read, it'll, it'll sort of resonate with you if you were here last week and heard the context, and you'll, it'll begin to connect, I think, in your mind. So I encourage you to read that, and we'll dive into chapter two next week. By way of application today, we're going to have a a go at practicing what we preach or practicing what we hear. And I think that's a good thing, isn't it? Um, we have flipped the service so that we can have a little bit of extended time of worship together where we can worship in response to what we've heard and the message that we've heard and some opportunity if you would like to be prayed for or to pray. And so that's what we're going to do. And, and first of all, the call is, is to worship. And sometimes in the church, and let me say, say this uh, to you, sometimes in the church, and we all experience this, I experience this sometimes, we get to the end of the, the period of singing and we realize, I, I just sung a bunch of songs, but I didn't worship. Does anybody else experience that? Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. The rest of you are not telling the truth. We, we can get to the end of a worship session and we realize we've sung, but we haven't worshiped, right? Because our mind has been off somewhere else. And sometimes it's just our undisciplined human mind. And sometimes, you know, it's the enemy, right? The enemy does not want you to worship because God inhabits our praises. There's power in worship. He'll do anything he can to draw your mind away. Uh, maybe we've just become programmed to repeat words on a screen to a melody 
in church. Maybe we've just been programmed to do that over many, many years, but we have to relearn that actually it's not primarily about that. You actually don't come to church to sing. You sing when you're here, but you don't come here to sing. You come here to worship. And and so let me encourage you not to switch off as we enter into our time together. Sometimes all you need is the awareness and the reminder so that you're like, oh, okay, right, okay, I need to be engaged. So, so let me encourage you to worship this morning. The call is, is not to engage and to shut off because Jesus is worthy to be worshiped. He's worthy of your time and attention. And today what we're going to do is we're going to be vessels for each other. And, and, and if you've been blessed in life, if God has done things in you, if God has answered prayers in your life, if, if he's blessed you, then there is a call for you to pass that on and to pay it forward to other people. And so if you need prayer this morning, it could be related to what we've discussed. It could be about something completely different, a, a decision you have to make or something you're facing or something going on in your family. Or it could be anything. If you need prayer for anything this morning, we wanna create space for you to be prayed for. And they'll both be pastoral team and, 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 and prayer team members and available to pray for you. We can do that here, we can do that back there. We're, but there's also you, your ministers of the gospel. You're not, you're not just here to watch. You can pray too. If somebody is sitting next to you and you know they want praying for, or they, they, or they express they want prayer, but they're too nervous to come up front, pray for them. If you're sitting there and you're like, well, I'm not really sure. Maybe I should ask them. Well, I'm not comfortable asking. Why not? The worst they can say is No. Just ask somebody if they want prayer. If they say no, that's fine. Ask somebody else. So I'm going to invite the team if they'll come back up, and they're going to lead us in some, some music this morning. And so you fall into one of three categories this morning, okay? You're either in category number one where you're like, yeah, you know what? I, I need to be prayed for. This, this thing, is, I, I would really appreciate someone praying for me. You're in that category. Or number two, you're in the category where you're like, you know what? I, I'd love to pray for someone. God is bless me and I'd love to come alongside someone. So I'd like to pray for them. And so like I said, we have people available, but, but you can do it as well. And thirdly, the third category you're in is you're to worship this morning. Because when you sing in this room, nothing happens. When you worship in this room, you change the atmosphere. You actually change the atmosphere in the room. And so you are then participating with those who are being prayed for because God comes and inhabits our praises. So you play a part Okay, the fourth category is the category that no, no one is to be in this morning, and that's I'm going to sit here and do nothing. All right, that's not allowed. All right, Matthew. <laughs> 